We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Best thing about your rival appointing a legendary player as manager is watching them sack the guy. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. There is nothing better than watching a fan base celebrate having a former captain and legend be announced as their uh, uh, manager and then watching as they hound him out of the club. And this is not Arsenal related. Of course, I'm talking about Frank Lampard sacked at Chelsea. And it turns out maybe... Uh, Petr Cech had a little something to do with helping expedite that process. That's the the funny, hilarious news. The bad news is maybe they will have a good coach, and with all the talent they have there, I could do without that. But uh, we will discuss that. And then Arsenal-related stuff as well, the FA Cup, the impending Southampton rematch in the league uh, tomorrow, and all kinds of fun things. Uh, we're going to talk about the arrival, potentially, of... Here we go. Erdegerd. Erdegerd. Uh, everyone's been trying. Erdegerd. <laughs> Is that right? No. Erdegerd. That's it, right? No. Erdegerd. That's 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 Swedish chef. That is that is demeaning. It is. It's Erdegerd. Erdegerd. All right. Well, anyway, uh, pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Stubbardo. Hello, Tim. Hello there, Clive. I think this deal's going to get over the uh, line, so we're going to do a scouting video of Erdegerd, right? Yeah, we've been asked. Yeah. Now, well, now it's safe to do it. Now he's potentially signing. Let's just wait till he signs. Uh, yeah, let's wait till the ink's dry. <laughs> let's wait till the ink's dry and the Achilles don't go pop or anything like that. Um, okay, uh, I, I want to start with you. Right, wait, before I start with you, Paul, y- what do you think it is? 
<laughs> oh, now I'm, you're on the spot, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> uh, I'm look. I'm going with Odegaard. I think it's Odegaard. But I'm got like I spent eight hours getting Scandinavians were all like, oh, you colonials. I'm not a colonial. I'm Irish. You colonials never learn how to pronounce names. So I spent eight hours getting Scandinavians to argue with each other over pronunciation because they were all like, oh, no, I'm Danish. Oh, no, I'm Norwegian. I know how to say this. So was it Udegaard? Yeah. Udegaard? So anyway, Udegaard? It, it worked brilliantly. I was stroking my white cat, if you know what I mean. And they went at each other like knives. Have a look at my timeline. They get mean over the pronunciation. So I'm going with Udegord. See, all right, now I'm reading it. So I, Fred Jensen in the, uh, and that's probably not how you pronounce his name, to be fair, in the Discord. Jensen. Goes with Jensen. Udegard. Udegard. <laughs> Udegaard. I'm going to go with Martin Udegaard. Okay, this uh, this is fun. You could just buy Duolingo and uh, get the same thing you're getting here. Please go to uh, arsenaleditor.com and use the promo code ArsenalVision and get some wonderful designs from a, a wonderful man named Nils who runs a wonderful Arsenal business. Arsenaleditor.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 10% off free shipping. So, Clive, uh, enough Udegaard talk for now. Uh, mm. um, we're trying. We're, we're really genuinely trying. Clive, let, let's... You should stop trying. It's it's the worst thing I've decided to do in ages. Um, let's talk Frank Lampard. Um, I mean, I am enjoying, obviously, watching a, a club legend get sacked and hounded out of his club. But Thomas Tuchel coming in, potentially, it looks like, um, leaves me a little concerned, given the, the surfeit of talent they have at the club. How do you feel about how that went down, their decision to sack? And maybe, just maybe, if you want to sort of contextualize it Maybe contrast it with what's going on at Arsenal. A manager who was also a player manager early in his career, who's also in the doldrums, who's been given the room to get out of it. If you want to take that angle, certainly your choice. Yeah, this is a big topic, right? So please interrupt me if I get stuck into it. You know what? I'm going to drink my coffee and turn off my microphone. (laughs) No, no, no. I want you guys to interrupt me because I'm sure you've got opinions as well, and I think it's important. Um, I think there's a lot in this compared to what we who we are as clubs and who the two majors are they're both similar age players obviously frank is one of the chelsea's best ever known players i think it we talk about culture we talk about these things but culture is something based on your actions and chelsea's culture has been set by a guy that's putting 1.5 billion pounds of his own money and he can do the actions which back the culture, which is... I'm not sure it's his own money, Clive. Oh, yeah. As my wife said this today, actually. Uh, yes, this money's nice and clean now, shall we say, Paul. You know what I mean? This money's nice and clean. And so, yeah, I feel that sets the culture for Chelsea. We all know who they are. They've got the trophies over 15, 16 years to back that up, right? So if you compare what Arteta's gone through at Arsenal, right? So... He's coming with a project, right? So he's coming to what I call a, a massive change cycle, right? So there's, there's five or six stages of change, right? So the first stage is when you set your goals and you get people to dream. And sometimes when a manager talks about, you know, things like believe in me, Elliot, people hold on to it, right? Really, what you're trying to do, you're trying to set the goals we want to achieve in a the project. Then you want to get that commitment phase, right? And that's the key phase. And I think one of the mistakes I made with Arteta was, I felt we'd already gone past that phase and because we started winning, right? But really, the commitment phase is the key phase. I think we've just gone through that, right? So then you have your difficulties. We've just gone through a bit of that. Then you get a bit of progress, then you get high performance, then you get renewal. Right? So with Arsenal, for example, the dream phase 
was the first phase when he came in, told us what he believed in. The commitment phase was finding out who in the room was on board. And I think we're finding out during this window that he's really digging into that and getting rid of people who are not committed. Right? That's the key thing, because the squad's too big. We're going through some difficulties, which we just went through pre-Christmas, and I'm hopeful now going forward. So I was always on board with Arteta as a program, as a project change manager, right? Just flip it to Chelsea, right? They, they've already got the dream. They've got the money. They've got the finances. So when Frank came in, he had a different job. He had a job which didn't really require any expectations because he was the first guy they were going to give time to because of the, the so-called, quotes transfer ban. Right, so, but once you get into a different phase now of two hundred twenty-two billion pound Chelsea, it's a different job. So Frank was a builder at Derby, got the loan players in, using his contacts and his mates, got in those pretty loan Harry Wilson and etc. Mason Mount got all the players in on loan and did really well. Got bombed out in the last minute. Not bad. Come to Chelsea now, another group of young players. It's the same job. With a slightly, slightly more focused. But once you become two hundred twenty-two million pound Chelsea, the expectations change. And they don't care about change cycles because they take away the difficulties phase because they just give you the money, right? And they expect progress immediately. They expect high performance immediately. And I think the job changed on Frank. And I think the Chelsea culture then kicked in. And despite Abramovich making his first comment for 18 years over a manager going out the door, it's quite ironic that a German-speaking manager is coming in behind him which tells you where their priorities are. It's quite ironic on the Athletic article today, which I'm just looking at. Rafi Hongestein is writing in there as well. Again, it's a German aspect. And it comes back to the point, it's very important when a player arrives at your club, you know why they've arrived what their motivations are. And it's very important when a player arrives at your club, you have a strategy for them. And we suffered from this. And I think Frank has basically lost his job over a set of tools that were given to him that he had no idea how to manage, no idea to put onto a football pitch. There weren't his choices per se. Well, I presume there weren't his choices. Mm. But they're the club choices. And the club was shown by investing in those players rather than him where their priorities lie, despite the fact he's their greatest player in their history, just about. So I think it comes back a little bit with Arsenal now and a little bit with Chelsea. These players come in and you really have to know what you're doing with them. And if you don't know what they're doing, then you don't agree. You need to say something because they will cost you a job. And not just the ones that are playing, the ones that are not playing. I think it's massively true. And I think it nearly cost Arteta his job. It cost Emery his job. It's definitely cost... Frankie's job. It's not just the players who are on the pitch, it's the ones who are not on the pitch and what they say and what they do and how they cause trouble. So, um, this modern football, I'm afraid, Elliot, it's modern football and this is going to happen again. It's, it's, a, it's a massive ego game now, a massive squad game and with these big clubs, I think we're seeing this happen more and more. Players eating the manager. It is tough for me though. Like, There's also just the question of is the manager good? If he's not good, he shouldn't have the job, right? So, like, I think there were real questions about whether Frank... You didn't ask me that. I don't think he's very good. <laughs> no, well, that's... So, right, so, like, all the things you said are absolutely valid. And there is definitely a question of the culture of sacking, and Chelsea do it one way, and other clubs do it another. I mean, Chelsea don't have a problem sacking out the manager. And what they've shown is that they're capable of achieving the goals they have set with a manager who's only in the job for a year or two. 
they're fine going that route and they spend enough that they should kind of expect that. Um, it also depends if the guy's a coach versus a manager, right? Is the guy in charge of recruitment? Is he setting the strategy of how players come in and go out of the club? Because you can't do that short term. You can't do that short term. But if he's just coaching the players on the pitch, it's easier to be short term. And Tim, I think um, it, it, it is just, to me, sometimes overcomplicated. If the coach isn't good, don't stick with him. There's no mm. morality in football. There's nothing ethically admirable about sticking with a coach who's bad any more than there's a morality of continuing to play players who aren't any good. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I would say is, do you think the Frank Lampard story is one of a club that just doesn't have patience with managers and here they go again? Or is the story of a club that says, he's a minus EV coach. He's a minus expected value coach. We have a better squad than the results and we'll go find a guy who's a plus EV coach. <laughs> so I... I, I thought of so initially um I thought of this as a bit silly of Chelsea because if you're gonna employ a young coach you a bit like Arsenal really you've got to accept that they're not the finished article and that they're you know they're gonna make mistakes and they need development and stuff like that and and like I understand why a club like Chelsea can say well actually we we don't we don't care about the coach's development curve we're not invested in that but then why appoint the coach in the first place if you're not then going to invest in him but um, I have to say I, I, I kind of I put that out on on Twitter and uh, as someone who I know listens to this podcast uh, Macho it, so his Twitter handle is Macho Grand right but it has an E on the end but I don't know which language because like in French and Spanish it has an, and Portuguese it has an E on the end and that greatly affects the pronunciation so it's got to be Macho Grande isn't it it's got to be uh, <laughs> Probably yes, yeah, um, but yeah. Anyway, and he, and he kind of said, it, and it changed my thinking on it. Actually, I think this is quite right. He said that, like, actually, this was probably Chelsea's plan all along. They had a one-window transfer ban, and I, I won't rehash too much of what we said on the kind of the the overall Premier League podcast we did last week. But headline, I think Lampard was enormously overpraised for last season because they had this one-window transfer ban, and everyone's so obsessed with transfers. I went, oh my god and treated Chelsea like this poor little mid-table minnow, even though they brought in, like, Christian Pulisic and Kovacic, you know, two massive money signings. Um, and everyone treated them like they were this newly promoted little kitten that was like, oh, look at them, they got into fourth, isn't that nice? Like, absolute bollocks. And a, a lot of my issue, I think, with with Lampard is not so much with Lampard himself is the coverage. I, th I think he's emblematic of privilege. And I think it was really interesting when he was challenged on that, he rejected it and he got very defensive, um, which kind of made me dislike him quite a bit, actually, because, um, you know, when you benefit from privilege, you should at least be able to say, yeah, I'm privileged. I get that. Um, that that's why I'm where I am, um, at least partially. Anyway, but but he kind of said this was probably always their plan. They had that one window transfer ban. They had all this young talent coming through. And so what they essentially did was they took a season to look at their young talent. And some of it's probably not as good as they thought. They tried like Tamori, for example, at centre back. Don't like him. Don't worry. Uh, Lamptey, they couldn't hold on to. Reese James, yep, definitely. We'll have a bit of him. Mason Mount, yep, definitely. We'll have a bit of him. Tammy Abraham, hmm, well, not bad probably not going to get a new contract, will probably go somewhere else, but with his value increased. Um, and then, um, you know, Gilmore, and you know, they've got more to look out there. But, you know, they, they, they were able to, like, look at this young talent 
and say, right, these guys good, keep, these guys maybe not sell. Um, and in order to do that, they probably had to appoint a coach like Lampard, um, not only because he'd worked with some of, you know, particularly Mason Mount at Derby and he brought Jody Morris who knew the, the youth set up at Chelsea very well, but also he's like, he's a young coach. He's done nothing in coaching other than manage Derby for a season. And he's a club legend. Like that is, but that put Chelsea in a position of strength to dictate to him. This is what we're doing this season. We want you to play the young players. We want to look at what we've got here. Uh, while we've got the transfer ban and you've got to get into the Champions League. And to be fair, he did that. They had a look at everything. But now the game's changed. Now it's like, right, thank you. We now know which young players we like and which ones we don't. We've loaded you up with all this talent. You're, You're not the guy for us anymore. And it was probably always in their plan to have him for one season. And hey, if he turns out to be brilliant, we'll keep him for longer. But um, I, I think it was it was probably fairly cynical. I, I will just say in, in in closing, like as much as I think he was overpraised last season, I don't think things have been easy for him this season actually. Because as much as they loaded up all this attacking talent, it it's like it's been really badly put together. Chelsea play a four three three, so they bought a number ten. They don't play with a number ten. Mm. They bought. Werner, who is a second striker, and they they don't they don't play with two strikers, and then they bought Zayek, who's a winger. Zayek is the only one they bought who actually fits what they do in their current system. One of those players is going to go, I think. Um, like I I don't see how you can play a system that can accommodate a second striker, a number ten, and an inverted winger. I don't think that works, and so I think. Chelsea will like one of them will turn into like the next Salah or De Bruyne, like someone they can't accommodate. They'll go somewhere else and they'll be really good. And 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 I think, you know, I still think Chelsea are sometimes a little bit silly with their money, but you know they've got so much of it that they don't seem to care. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, and look, I mean, here's the thing, I. I don't know why some managers deserve patience and some don't, but I, I do think that you can look at the type of football a coach plays and his approach to the game and, and at least say, like, does he have something about him? And and I guess I just don't see Lampard as having much about him personally. It's like, hey, no, well, man, man mark everybody, then go throw everybody in the attacking half. Like, I... I just don't feel that there's a lot of tactical news there. And, and it's weird, too, right? Like, I don't hear a lot of people saying Tony Adams should be given more time. He gets lampooned for one silly-looking video in Spain... You know what I mean? And like, nobody's saying give Tony Adams more time. Like sometimes you're just not good at coaching. Um, And I'm not saying Lampard's like no good. We'll never be good anywhere. But this just feels like a level that was way beyond me. And look at Graham Potter, young coach, good everywhere he's been pretty much right away. Very talented guy. Um, I just think you see these things quicker. And the only scary thing for me now is whatever you think of Thomas Tuchel, a hothead, you know, we'll be gone in a year and a half. Or, you know, a genius, misunderstood genius, or he's been ruined by PSG, whatever you think. I have a hard time thinking he won't do better with this group than Lampard. Mm. And so it just makes Chelsea that much harder to, that much harder to chase. Um, And I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Whatever Tuchel does, he'll be gone in two years. Yeah. (laughs) That's just who he is. But the the, the scary thing is just like, I was looking at this. Yeah. That's who Chelsea, it's a perfect fit for them in a way. Right. Yeah. Um, And and, and I guess I was just saying that, like, I think had they kept Lampard, I was looking at Chelsea as absolutely catchable. I don't know if I see them as catchable with a competent coach, just because I think there's enough talent there to do more than they're doing. Um, 
Paul, I'd like to move on, but I, I don't want to freeze you out of this conversation if you're interested in it, but I know you've done a lot of Odegaard. Odegaard. Uh, yeah, I'm going uh, with Odegaard. Research. You wanted to, all right, so yeah. so let's let's move off of Chelsea and get back to Arsenal, and it looks like we're going yeah. to loan Odegaard. Um, before we get into the value of the loan and, and and you know how that helps us and what it what it frees us up to do, do you want you've been looking at a lot of stuff about the player, watching a lot of the tape, watching a lot of the video. What do you think of him um and, and what he'll bring to Arsenal? Uh yeah, so I watched three three matches uh from Real Sociedad. Actually they have a really cool YouTube channel where they have a lot of the games available, <clears throat> weirdly, full matches. Um, so I watched Barcelona from last season. That was a 2-2. Real, oh, sorry, Atletico Madrid, That was a, they won that one 2-0. Quite interesting. Party wasn't playing, which was a shame, but uh, all the other boys were there. And uh, I think Osasuna, they beat them 4-3. Um, it didn't matter what they said the lineup was going to be. Basically, uh, Odegaard played in the same spot. He, he plays consistently in the kind of the right uh, half space there um, so he's he's basically a free 10 or an 8 10 he's very Smith Rowe in terms of like we'll get to the where how would he play within the team and that kind of stuff but I kind of see him very much lining up he's different to Smith Rowe but he's not that different so I do think he's very much uh, spoiler alert going to be sharing time with Smith Rowe basically mm-hmm. you could play him off the right and they do, but he basically falls into that uh, half space area there. Um, he's a creator. He's a dribbler, progressive passer. Um, he'll move you between the thirds, which was the thing we said we wanted from last summer. I mean, that's what he is. He's 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 not much in the defensive third. He's not going to do a lot of tackling for you, but he'll help you keep your shape. He'll cut off passing lanes, but he don't do no tackles. Um, but it's not really his job there. It's a bit like Smith Rowe at Huddersfield. I mean, they didn't ask him to tackle either, but he tackles a bit more for us. Um, but he kind of has a free role, and his job is once they get the ball back in their third to help them progress it up the pitch. Uh, he's got one leg. Uh, uh, the, he needs the other leg for a few reasons, including not looking silly, but he's basically got a left leg, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's kind of like a tall, athletic, like if you think of the good Danny Ceballos, he's kind of like a tall, more athletic Danny Ceballos, but with a left leg. Uh, I know I've just damned him because we're also down on Danny, but like he's really good just outside of the box. Um, he's, you know, that's how, that's how he, he he impacts the penalty area with passing, not with dribbling into the box, but he'll dribble up to the box. Um, he's good. He's clever, but he plays on the right side of the pitch. Mm. Uh, you can start him wherever you like, but he's basically like if I saw a lot more games or as he evolved with Arsenal, he could be different. But I fully expect him to be a 10 who who plays on the right, drifts to the right. Uh, he's so left footed that that's the right place for him to play because that'll bring him into the in towards the center. And But if he's playing up the right wing, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of passing to the winger. It's a very simple layoff. Mm. Do you, let me ask you this. Well, uh, is, is that your full scouting report? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, 
like I, if I see him a little cool on him, I just I'm getting used to him now, so I'm not as super hyped as I was before. He's going to be very good. I I would I mean he's as good a signing as we have any right to expect to get in a January loan, and we might be super excited about him next summer and want to sign him. So yeah. I am excited. I've just kind of gotten used to him at this point, so I'm not quite as hyped up as I was. You know what I think's a little bit interesting? And I have to admit, I was guilty of this. There was a part of me at first that was like, well, if there's no option to buy, it stinks because, like, you know, this is this is the caliber of player we need, but if we can't get him, we should focus on permanence. But first of all, like, if we can't get anybody in January permanently, then this is a fairly cheap way to bring in someone good, and someone good coming in is always good. But, like, I have to admit, I fell into the trap of thinking the only way you can buy your loan E is if you have an option to buy. That's actually not true. An option to buy locks in your ability to by the player without opposition. But if yeah. the player comes and thrives and loves it and likes the team and likes the coach and likes the city and the club does well and he wants to stay, you're in a very strong position to try to buy him in the summer, even without an option to buy. Because yeah. you say, look, the player loves it here. The player says to his home club, I'm actually really happy. I think I'd like to to stay. Then, yeah, you have to, you have to offer a, a good hefty fee and maybe you can't afford it. But the point is, you're not locked out of buying the player by not having an option. You, yep. you still have the advantage of being the only club bidding for the player who the player just played at and maybe loves being at. So Yeah. He said he wanted to be at Real Sociedad for two years. Like, he wanted to go to a club for two years, and they pulled him back, but it was Real Madrid, so he's like, okay, cool. Now he's pissed off, I would reckon. Well, he doesn't get so, on with Zidane, but Zidane probably won't Zidane. be there next season. So just... uh, And I'm not convinced Real Madrid will think he's the absolute solution to their problems. I mean... He's he's not he doesn't do everything. He's not a god. He's really good. I think we may well want him next summer, but I'm not convinced he solves all Real Madrid's problems. So it, this could well be the best thing for all three. We give them a reasonable fee. We he's proven out here. He wants to stay somewhere for a few years to build his career. It's the perfect age. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, compared to pretty much having already bought him, which we've done with a few other loanies from last January. You know, let's give it six months and, and see whether we'd cry if we lost him. If he really wants to be here and we really want him, we're in a pretty good position. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, so Clive, then the question is, I'd love to get your take on how you think he'll be used in his value as well as just the idea of, of loaning players um, as a strategy. I, the, the only thing I'll say is that like, everybody tells me it's probably not a situation where he's going to play with Smith Rowe, unless he's one of the wide forward positions, um, you know, cutting inside from like the right or, I mean, he's not going to cut inside from the left because he's a very left footed player. But if he can't play with Smith Rowe, I certainly understand wanting to protect a 20 year old with a big, a big injury track record in Smith Rowe. But then you look at, you know, long term, whether you want two players of that caliber who are both young, who play the same position. So thoughts on what he brings to us and, and strategically the idea of giving Smith Rowe some cover this season versus long-term creating a, a log jam there potentially. Yeah. <clears throat> sorry. I don't, um, I'm not worried about the log jam at all. I think it's important to protect the young players future on the pitch as a young center half playing for Liverpool yesterday in the FA cup game, getting ruined live on TV. It's a bit of a shame because he shouldn't be there in that level of game against Manchester United. And it's going to take a while to recover from it. Right. And they're out of the cup, etc. So it's very important. We don't allow that to happen with one of our players that we really, really rate. And, and this Odegaard is two, three years older and played at some big clubs, big stadiums, has played in the top league more than six times, shall we say. So you have to just bear that in mind. 
Paul's assessment really, really good. I'll just add a couple of extra bits on top of that. Um, right half space definitely and he uses the pace of the pass really well and he cuts against the grain so he uses his first touch to set people off on balance goes back for their legs a lot and he's always looking for that right to left pass so if I was the coach I'd be saying to all the players just run when he gets the ball just run because his, his number one skill for, for me is actually vision mm. his vision to see passes is really really good you know, there's lots of reverse passes, you know, the old Fabregas reverse passes. And so I'd say, don't stop running. He'll find you. Do you know what I mean? It's like LeBron James, <laughs> keep going because the ball's coming up. Have your hands up. The ball's going to be coming its way. Do you know what I mean? And um, don't turn your eyes away from it. And that's all I would say. There's no point in having this guy in your team if you've got non-running forwards. That's the number one thing I would say. So he would, uh, Yang would be, he must absolutely love this. Absolutely love this, you know, and, and the players that move well will love playing with someone like this. I read a good article from Sam Dean today in the Telegraph, and he spoke a little bit about how he got a personal trainer in and has changed physically, and they showed a picture of him topless, etc. And nice, I like. <laughs> I know, but I really like that. I really like that because when the, you see the picture of him topless, no judgment. <laughs> no, we don't I do you. think. You need to recognize sometimes when you, you need to develop. And he needed to develop physically. He's very, very skillful, but he's very, very light. And if he's recognized that, that's good. That means he cares about his game, right? He absolutely cares about it. And I think, you know, something I've, I said about Pepe the other day, I really like Pepe, but he hasn't changed. He hasn't got fitter. He hasn't got stronger. He's the same bendy player that when he arrived. Got to adapt to the environment that you're in if you want to get better. Don't just accept it and... So I like that. And so, yeah, run, run, run. This guy will find you. If you've got to just stand there and watch him do stuff, then that's what we do with Pepe right now, isn't it? We just stand there and watch him do stuff and the way it's coming out. So it needs to all come together. We need to know why we're having him. Number 10, nippy, quick feet, pass it to people that are moving. And I think we we could be onto something. Yeah. Um, Paul, final thought? Yeah, so the other thing I didn't mention that I kicked myself for is uh, he's a good presser. Uh, so he'll press their back line. He, like he's he's not to not to pull this into a dark area, but you, you compare him to Ozil, one of the things that's different, even if they're playing free, is he's he always looks switched on. He always is switched on. I mean, Ozil pressed, Ozil ran around a bit, but this guy doesn't switch off. So he's alive to the game. He presses. He's doing a job all the time, even if he's not tackling. He'll be holding a position. He'll be blocking passing lanes. So he keeps your structure. Uh, like he, he didn't, from any of the games I saw or, or from what I saw of his minutes, they basically never subbed him, even if there were a few goals up. So he's always doing work for the team. Uh, you know, we never subbed Ozil, but that was because he was Ozil, not so much because, I mean, okay, sometimes we did. But in general, he, he played longer than maybe... You know, Mourinho would pull Ozil off. Well, you probably don't pull Odegaard off because he, uh, no offense meant, uh, because he stays switched on in the game and he holds his position and he'll press. He does work uh, out of possession. He's just not the, you're not going to use this guy in a two as a pivot. He's not really a tackler. He doesn't really have that physique. He's That's not the way he's wired or it's certainly nothing about his his presence makes me think he's too in a pivot, but maybe he could prove prove me wrong in the future. Uh, maybe I just haven't. Uh, maybe he just hasn't been used that way. So, but he's still very useful out of possession. Uh, he's active. He's a presser. 
Mm. So, Tim, I guess the, the only last thing on this, and I, I, ha- I have intentionally not spent a lot of time on this with you because I know that transfers aren't like your favorite topic, but I also don't want you to feel that I'm leaving you out of the fun. Mm. Um, do you just have any thoughts on loans generally and, and the idea yeah. of, of loaning a player as a solution? I mean, I ordinarily, my inclination would be to point to like, the Cedric one and the Marie one and the Dennis Suarez one and the Ceballos one and say, this is a club that feels like it's invested its wealth poorly wealth in quotes, and then has tried to like cheat the system with loans that have also gone poorly. But this player is so good. I don't fucking care about the strategy so much, but do you have, do you have a reaction to that? Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. I've been thinking for the last few years that we're doing too many loans Mm -hmm. and kind of the reason is we've done so much bad business and we're trying to dig our way out somehow. And it reminds me of that, uh, you know, that that brilliant Simpsons joke, you know, dig up stupid (laughs) when they're (laughs) digging a hole. And it's a bit like, oh, God, we made all these mistakes. And and that's the problem with making lots of mistakes. They beget more mistakes. And and yeah, usually I'm with you. I, I tend to think for a club of Arsenal size, doing a lot of loan deals is a bad sign. Um, and, and I still think that, but I'm with you on this. I think this one makes a ton of sense for a number of reasons. First off, I think, you know, firstly, I, our sample size on Smith Rowe is still really small. Like as, as much as, you know, I've, I've high on him um, and, you know, watched him play in the youth teams, et cetera, et cetera, that like he might go completely cold or off the trail or get injured or what. Like there's any number of things that can happen. Like we've decided very quickly that this guy is the absolute future of the position and he might well be. But we're not in a position to to really throw our lot in with that. It's a bit like it reminds me of Martinez, really. Um, And I completely understand why that move happened. You know, it was just like, yeah, he probably does look better than Leno, but it's just too small a sample size to give him a big new contract and tell him he's number one. We just can't do that yet. Here, we're not at that crossroads contractually. So what what we're able to do here, I mean, first of all, uh, Erdegaard, um, we got to is... agree on something. It's Odegaard. <laughs> do we? Isn't it? Do we need Odegaard. to agree? Odegaard. Odegaard. Yeah. Odegaard. Okay. Well, do it how you want. Yeah. To. Well. It, anyway. Anyway. The, the thing is, as well, he hasn't played a lot of football. Um, you know, he's got like nine sub appearances this year. He's not going to be ready to come straight into the team. So, you know, for a few weeks, we can do a bit of swapses between him and Smith Rowe. And, and you know, that what this gives us is it just gives us four more months to have a look at Smith Rowe, see how good he is, see how consistent he is, see how durable he is as well. Can, can he play like 20 more games this season without getting injured. I mean, I, I think he's been quite unlucky with injuries and they've all been different. So I don't, it's not like, um, it's not like the same hamstring keeps going or anything, but still it just, it just gives us a little, a little chance to look and, and like take an, another view on it in the summer about how much money we should be spending in this position. Cause if we're like, if he's kind of, you know, Saka good. It's like, okay, that position is sorted. And what we need is a backup or rotation option. But if it's not, then we should be looking at like a, an, an hour sized transfer, you know, like, like we tried to do last summer and, and we just don't have enough information to make that call yet. So for me, yeah, doing a loan deal for this type of player, who's also young um, and, you know, hopefully won't, isn't made of glass like (laughs) Denis Suarez or Kim, Kalstrom or 
other um other, other transfers like that it it just makes a ton of sense to me like you i'm not really that bothered about the obligation to buy thing i think um if anything you know obligation to buy works both ways if it doesn't work you're screwed mm-hmm. like imagine if we'd gone for obligation to buy on Denis Suarez which Barcelona were really trying to push mm-hmm. on us imagine that that would have been horrendous um arguably it was horrendous with Cedric Suarez as well um maybe not horrendous but bad so I, I think this one this is one of those like in isolation it it makes a ton of sense whereas perhaps our other loan moves haven't I mean to be honest I think Cedric and Mari was more that was more an accounting trick as much as anything um I think they were always likely to be permanent signings but this mm, one yeah, yeah I, I think it just it, it enables us to rotate to protect to have a look at Smithrow also to have a look at Odegaard as well and just kind of say okay let, let's see if and if he's dynamite brilliant let's try and sign him um it makes sense for the player it gives him minutes that he he really really wants and it makes sense for madrid because as you say zidane will probably not be the manager next year they might get a new coach who really wants him so it i I think this is a bit of a no-lose yeah i mean this is a player who at times last season was one of the best players in all of la liga so you just you just take that guy you know what i mean um and see how it plays out because he's a guy that if he excels for us and we're able to keep him somehow like he might be better than what we could get. I mean, look, you could convince me. It's funny. The, these um, stat companies have a feature where you can do like find similar players for comparison. And one of the guys that profiles from a stat standpoint really similar to Odegaard is Awar, ironically. Um, and the thing is, if you had to ask me who has the higher ceiling, I, I just have a feeling that Odegaard might like based on who he was at a young age and the trajectory of his career and where it could go from here. Like I, you know, the, the physical stature of him, the left footedness. I like, there's just a lot to like about him. It is the challenge of having a guy in Smith row who's played three or four good games. You know what I mean? Like he's a big, big talent. And I, I really think he's going to make it. It's hard to know what you have in Smith row at 20 years old with basically four premier league games under his belt. He, this isn't Saka. This isn't a guy who for a year has broken into the first team and mostly really impressed. So it's still early enough. And I like the idea that we're going to give ourselves a few months here to allow him to rotate out when he needs to have a great player who can play at a super high level uh, at times, but also get a better sense of whether we need a full-time guy that competes with Smith Rowe, whether we just need depth at the position. It, it gives us a lot of flexibility, but anytime you can bring a guy in who is as talented as I think he is, I don't, that, you know, there. I've always said this, there are guys who are good enough, you break your rules for them, and I think, while I'm mostly opposed to loans, I think I'd break my rules for him. We don't have an option and, and to buy. We, yep. we might be bad at loans, as I said the last time, but he's quite good at them. He's done yeah. two really so good loans. Associate Rad loan worked great for him. Now, now, um, I, we don't have an option to buy. Here's a question. Do you think we could have done the Willian deal with an option to sell? <laughs> a compulsory option to sell? Is that, could we have a compulsory option to buy? You know what a compulsory option to buy is? You have a compulsory option to buy the Lawnmower 3.0. Boom! There it is. There's your Manscaped ad. I got news for you. The Lawnmower 3.0 deal is ending. In February, they're, they're featuring another thing. And I can't tell you what the thing is because it's not February. Even if you're listening to this in February, I can't, I can't see the future, obviously. I'm not on the Robinhood app pumping up GameStop. I'm here talking to you about football. That's an inside finance joke, but look it up. It's actually quite hilarious. Um, Look, the Lawnmower 3.0 is the single best purpose-built shaver I've ever seen, period. 
whole body, no problem. Ceramic blade. So this is a thing that just, it's just clean and smooth. It works great. The battery's long. I, this, I don't recharge it because it just lasts forever. You throw, put it in the shower and I promise you for like the first two months you own it, it'll be in the shower and you'll just be using it. Then it's got this like science fiction-y awesome little stand you can put it in and it looks really pretty while it's charging up. Wet, dry, comes with a guard. So not, it doesn't come with an eau de guard. Actually, it is kind of an eau de guard if, if you're talking about the French word eau as in water, right? Eau guard, like a water guard. Anyway, uh, these things just get more it, and more it weird. It comes with a they, gird. It, yeah, I don't know what that means. Uh, like ga gastric reflux? Eau de gird. Oh, okay. Oh, water, water of reflux? Isn't GERD reflux? What does it stand for? Gastrointestinal reflux disorder or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, I was trying to do an advertisement for the Lawnmower 3.0. Uh, if you go to manscaped.com and put in promo code ArsenalVision, you can even leave a note saying, I heard the most awkward and unusual promotion for your product in history. Uh, and then you can save 20% and get free shipping. Literally, they will just give you 20% off and free shipping for having tolerated this advertisement. So I think that's enough said about that. But look, you got to shave your privates. Do it with something good. It's that simple. Or, you know what? Get a cheese knife from your knife drawer, the one you use to cut brie. Get in the shower and try shaving off your privates with brie knife. That's not going to be good. Lawnmower 3.0 works. You're running out of time because in February I'm going to be talking about something else. Thank God. Uh, okay, enough of that. Clive, is that enough of that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Please, let's move on. <laughs> I feel like you're enjoying these more and more and more. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> you might be just a touch. That might be just a touch wrong about that. You could hear me on this mute. <laughs> uh, groaning, groaning away. Okay. Well, you know what? If you anyway, I'm not gonna. You know what? I'm not gonna do it. Um, okay. Let's move on. Um, so, well, Clive, let me ask you this just real quick. The the Southampton game, the the cup tie. Where do you stand? Just just real basic. His selection, his his decision to rotate. Um, on the outrage scale, how outraged were you? I know a lot of people were outraged by it. Where did, where did you fall on his decision to rotate for the game? Yeah, not bothered at all. Seriously, zero. Is that low? Not bothered at yeah, all. Yeah, 10, 10 would be um, you're almost as outraged as I get when I have an itch on my neck. Um, and zero is just you in your normal state of equanimity. For me, once you pick a team, I'm, not, I'm never worried. What I will, I will critique is... Um, making sure that you put people in areas to play where they want to play and can really be effective in the, within that selection. So if you pick um, Cedric as left back, then, and this didn't come from me actually, it's something I heard from Lewis, then why not put a left foot ahead of him? You know what I mean? So he's not forced to cross on his left foot. Right? So simple things like that. We could have done that with Maitland Niles, for example. If you're going to play Southampton, know they're going to press and make sure rather than have a double pivot, you have one-on-one -on -one, or you step into the, the tulips, as I said last week, don't play too deep. Right. So for me, it's not who you pick, it's how you play. And I think we were, again, we were a little bit lacking intelligence in some of our selections and well made selections about how we asked them to play rather than who we said, when we select a team like this, I'm absolutely fine. So I've had them play Shrewsbury last Tuesday they played a weak team. I think only Ward Prowse, maybe one other, played in that game. Then they played their strong team on the weekend. And I just read that they've got lots of injuries. Walker Peters is going to be out. One, well, I think Bertrand's got a suspension. And they've got injuries. No one's coming back. Maybe Redmond's coming back. So they've paid the price for the weekend for their cup win. So we've got to make sure that we deliver. So it makes Saturday um, look good. When we play, so it looks good. 
Otherwise, we look stupid for playing a slightly weaker team, losing, and then losing the league game as well. Then you look really dumb. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I'm absolutely fine with it. I really do think the league is the most important thing for me with the Europa League. Um, I'm not one of these people that thinks um, the league is over and pretend it doesn't matter, because it does matter. Every weekend, the league game comes along. I don't see people... You know, taking the holidays and stuff like that when it comes to Arsenal, I think it's important. You know, it feels really important to me. It feels like an event. So I don't dismiss the league at all. I think it's very important to our stature and where we are and et cetera, et cetera. So, and shows our progress. It really is a measure of our progress. Being a cup team, we've done it. We've seen it. We've done it. Got to Europa League final, semi finals, FA Cup final, won the final. We've seen this group of people do well in cup competitions. We need to see something in the league now. I think that's the measure of um, where we're going. Yeah, I mean, if you offered Arsenal fans the chance to win the next five FA Cups consecutively and finish eighth in the league every one of those seasons, I think 5% of fans would take that and 95% would say no thank you. And that's not because we don't love the FA Cup and it means the world to us. It is a wonderful fill-up at the end of the season. It's a wonderful way to go in the summer and it is a joyful thing. And when we had a 10-year trophy drought, it was phenomenal to win those FA Cups. But the ambition for the club is beyond that. You don't go into your season hoping you win the FA Cup. You go into your season hoping you achieve things in the league and in Europe. And then the FA Cup is this awesome other thing. Um, I think now, having just won the FA Cup last season, if we won it this season and finished 12th, I mean, we'd still love winning it. But that's not where we're trying to be. I, I think he did the right thing. Not just an okay thing. I think he did the yeah. right thing. Do you, do you know, we lost Karen Tierney for the Palace game. Because he played 120 minutes against Newcastle in the previous round. Would you rather have had Kieran Tierney back for Palace and taken all three points in that game if it meant we didn't beat Newcastle? I mean, it's a tough question to ask because now you know we're out of the FA Cup anyway. But, Clive, it sounded like you had a, a final thought that you were trying to interject there. Yeah, I, I was going to say something like that, actually. I totally agree. I think we messed up in that in that Cup game. We didn't need to do that. We could have put other people there. And, and the Palace game, the way the Palace game shaped how... We had the freedom of that side, and we didn't we didn't take it. You know, we didn't have the right player to accept it. One last thing about the loan thing, I, did, I ignored it when you asked me earlier because I just <laughs> ignored it because I, I don't really care. But I, I part of the I think that's wrong. I should care because um, when you it's not so much the loan. It's, it could be who you loan from. I think it's important that for me. The most important thing is Arsenal re-establishing themselves as a proper, proper team. And sometimes loans say that you're not proper, you're still meddling your way along. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I think it sends a, a perception that maybe we're just not quite where we need to be. We're, we're sort of looking behind the sofa for a few quid yeah. here and there, yet we're throwing well, millions we away on people. <laughs> you know, so, um, so it comes back to the, the, the areas of change again, you know. We are trying to clean house. This this group of really, you know, Mustafi Rubens are going to get onto that. We, yeah, we'll, we we'll touch on it at the end. It looks like we might be canceling Mustafi's contract, which is perfect. It's it's only yeah. three and a half years too late, but it's still great. Yeah. Um, it's still great, and we, we we've spoke about this from squad building etc. for ages. But we're cleaning house, and while we're cleaning house, we're looking for smart deals, and I that's why I'm okay with it. Just, just because I can see some action on the other side of the ledger. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it feels there, good. It feels there's good. something in American sports called tanking. It doesn't work in European football because there's no draft. In American sports, one of the ways you get stronger is you draft players as they come out of college. And the worse you do in the league, 
the earlier you get to draft, so you get the better players. But you can kind of tank in football in this sense, just getting rid of Deadwood players, clearing them out, getting their money off our wage bill, and getting the squad places available frees up wages to give out and non-homegrown players to sign. And I think we're positioning ourselves to be able to rebuild the team by getting rid of players that are clogging up wages and and non-homegrown players, even though it is addition by subtraction in my view. Uh, Tim, one of the things about the FA Cup type, I, I just think that it's important that we distinguish. A lot of people were upset about the rotation, but I think the attitude was like we had put out a league cup side. You know, that it was mm. Willock and Nelson and Maitland-Niles and Runner-Runnerson and, you know, Mustafi. If you look at that 11, overwhelmingly it's guys that are either still first choice, have a claim to be first choice, or expensively acquired players who he's got to play occasionally. And so, you know, the irony is if, if, if Martinelli had gotten hurt, people would have been like, oh, why'd you risk him in the cup? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, ultimately, guys like Pepe and Martinelli should have the quality to be able to play a cup tie without people losing their absolute minds. And I realize people are going to say, oh, but it's William. William's a guy we shouldn't have played. If we can't use 200,000 pound a week, William, who we just signed in the cup, we got a real problem for three years on our hands. Now, admittedly, mm. we, we may actually have that problem. The only one you could point to for me and say not, not good enough is Enkedia, who I think has started to drift out of the picture. But isn't it fair to point out that while this was a rotated side, these weren't some League Cup kids out there? No, no, exactly. And look, you know, you referenced the the Tierney injury against Newcastle. Pretty much everyone was annoyed about that. And not just when he got injured. There were lots of people who at the time said, why are we playing him? Um, and, and, you know, we, it's weird. We do get, I, like, I think we worry too much sometimes about resting players and about player loading and things like that. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with you guys. I, th- this was the sort of lineup I expected and it's the kind of lineup I'm absolutely fine with. And yeah, exactly. And it's not just, um, it's not just because we needed to give guys like Saka, Smith Rowe a rest, but some of these guys need minutes as well. Uh, Martinelli probably needed the minutes um, from a fitness standpoint. Willian and Pepe have to play themselves into some kind of form. And that's really difficult. That's a really difficult situation for for Arteta to manage because we are going to need them. Um, I hope that we don't really have to start either of them. But even if they don't start, like we're not going to go and win every game 3-0 and not need attackers to come off the bench. And and I think that's been a, a bit of an issue for us recently, the fact that we don't generally have an awful lot on the bench when we when we play that, that you know, the, the 11, um, as it were. Um, mm. You can really only get one of Martinelli or Aubameyang into the team. So you, you've probably got Martinelli as an impact sub, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Um, we need Willian and Pepe at the very least to be decent impact subs, which they're not really at the moment. And and to do that, they've they've kind of got to play. And this, you know, whether whether people, you know, want to admit it or not, this was the lowest stakes game that we had left. It, it's 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 that simple. And I don't like calling it a low stakes game, but name me a lower one. The next time they'd be eligible to really play without feeling like it was a huge roll of the dice is in March against Burnley. I'm not kidding. That's yeah, the yeah, next yeah. game you'd say I could start one of these guys. Yeah, exactly. And and February's gonna be quite busy. So that like they are going to have to play. Like we we can't play the same eleven every week. And and to be honest as well, I I guess 
in terms of the cups. I mean, I think it always makes a difference when you've won it the year before and the pressure perhaps isn't there to go and win as much to go and win a trophy. Um, And, you know, some quite by our standards, average Arsenal teams have won this cup in recent years now. And it's a bit like, okay, we've done that. We know we can do that. And that's not to go, oh, well, you know, fuck it, it doesn't matter anymore. Do you know what I mean? But it it, it is just a kind of, what would Arsenal winning the FA Cup this year tell us? Probably not a great deal. If we win the FA Cup and finish ninth or tenth, like what's that really going to tell us? Mm. Um, And, you know, we've got the Europa League, which is probably our, our... best route back into next year's Champions League so obviously that you know that's a double whammy right that's a trophy and a position in the Champions League so of course and we've got a hard draw in the in the round of 32 so we do have to make that that kind of decision and I have to say just like from a personal point of view with cup competitions I have never ever worried about going out in the fourth round the FA Cup for me it's like when we get quarterfinal semi-final that's when I think okay we could win this and you start to plot your path I usually don't want to go out in the third round that feels a bit humiliating but as long as it's like not to Spurs I don't mind going out in the fourth round of the FA Cup really and sometimes Mm. as well Elliot the draw goes for you and sometimes it doesn't that's how cups work and this year is it's just a year like I don't really think the draw's gone for us. You know, we we had Newcastle at home, which, yeah, again, we should win. But then Southampton away. And if we'd won this Wolves away, not, you know, not impossible games, games we should be able to win. But then you get to the quarterfinal and who, like, who are you going to get in the quarterfinal? Not Cheltenham, is it? So sometimes the draw, the way the draw comes out, you've kind of got to go... Maybe not consciously, but as a fan, I can compartmentalise that and go, right, okay, the draw didn't really fall for us um, this year. And I know we beat City and Chelsea in the semis in the final last year. But like I say, I honestly think the cup competitions, you divide into two sections. There's everything like before, maybe let's say the quarterfinal, when it, it starts to get down to, you know, these are the teams that can really win it. Really, nowadays, it's the semi-finals when you go, right, these are the four teams that, that can probably win it. So, I yeah, I and, I and like having that fifth round midweek free now is, is actually quite useful to us. So, you know, I didn't want to go out, obviously, but at the same time, like I've, we went out to Man United two seasons ago in the fourth round and it really didn't trouble me at all. Mm. Um, as long as it's not Spurs or, and we're not thrashed or we're not, you know, we're not giant, it's not a giant killing going out in the fourth round of the FA cup away to a premier league team has never greatly troubled me to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's well said. And uh, Paul, do you want to put a finishing thought on that? Yeah, I mean, the only uh, weakness in the lineup, I think, uh, and this this is kind of ca- captain obvious, but we didn't have a creator on the pitch. Um, but then we didn't have a creator to play here if we weren't going to play Smith Rowe. Well, we had a guy game, who so. was supposed to have that responsibility. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's a lot of projection around it, right? Uh, if we're thinking Willian. Um, and, like, we can get into the whole Willian discussion, but if you're going to critique the lineup, you'd say, well, I, I mean, it is a strong lineup for a, whatever you call it, a B team or somewhere between your A and B team. It was a strong lineup, but it didn't have a creator. It didn't have a toothpaste player. And we have one, and we don't want to play him in every game, and we're just signing another one. So, a kind of, it all kind of makes sense when you look at it. 
and this team struggled from create for creativity by everybody's viewpoint in the game. So uh, that's my only real reflect. You know, I've no issues with the yeah. lineup apart from he didn't have the option to put in a toothpaste player. I, I think we're all on the same page there. Um, the only thing I would say, so Clive, I, I want to just say the one area where I think he he might have gotten it wrong. Arteta, that is. And by the way, we weren't thrashed in this game. We're in this game. We get a sort of unlucky own goal. I think there were a few chances. I mean, to be fair to Nketiah, who I think, you know, is below the level required. You know, we could certainly get into the Balogun thing very, very briefly. I don't want to make the whole podcast about it, which we can't do because we're already in, almost an hour into it. Um, but like, because I've seen Arteta do this twice now. And I think it's something that he's going to have to reconsider, which is... To get an extra striker on, taking off a fullback and moving Saka to left back. And I understand the mindset. You get an attacking left back in Saka who he can push forward and make like an auxiliary forward, and then you can get an extra striker on. So we took Bellerin off, I believe, for Saka to get Lacazette, uh, sorry, to get Lacazette on and moved Saka to left back. At that point, Clive, we were pushing them back pretty good, and Saka was starting to get into the game and looked like unlocking things a bit. And he wanted to get more firepower on, I get it. But I felt that moving Saka to left back when he brought Lacazette on actually took some of the impetus away, and I, I think we got less dangerous at that point. So did you have the same issue with that, and is that maybe a, a thing? Because he's done it twice now. We've seen him do that exact thing twice. Is that a, a move that you think he's going to have to reconsider in terms of um, maybe removing Saka from the influence of the game? Yep, absolutely agree. We spoke about it on the instant reaction, didn't we? I thought it was a dumb move. Saka actually <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Clive. Don't, don't hold back. It was dumb. It's only dumb. Let's be honest. When Saka yeah. came on, you watched the game. How sharp did he look? Mm. I mean, he looked razor sharp. He was at, he was at him straight away. I'm thinking it's only a matter of time before he does something and we get the goal. And then we sort of, we sort of nullified ourselves by moving him. And we, we went to get two strikers on the pitch. Totally fine. I get that. We're in a cup game. Put two strikers on the pitch. Just go. Just go three five two. Let's go three five two. Don't put him in the back four and give him a distance to travel. Stick him into a wing back. He's never going to be in the back four anyway. We got Gabriel. We could just put Cedric at right centre back. I don't really care really. And then just get Gabriel holding and say, right, you lot, you're going to get it for the next few minutes. And that's what we need to do. We just need to just change the shape so we get our players in the right areas. And that to me is it. It's never the lineup. It's how you get your players doing what they like doing. Yeah, I agree. it's really important really important it's the most important thing is of a coach's coach's job to recognize the the hot hand and make sure you give him the ball don't stick him at left back mm. i mean he's literally our best player that's not mess about he's our best player he is it when he goes to play for england he's the best player there and all he's got man a match and 72 this kid, million pounds saka yeah, he is the jewel. He is the one thing I tell you now. He is the one, and he's just improving every single week. You know, and so how we look after him is important. So, mm. yeah, really, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I yeah. just feel that's just dumb, 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 dumb. And and I mean, look, it, let's give Arteta one piece of credit for one other thing too. In his mind, when he set this team out, he would have expected to have Aubameyang available, um, yeah. and and not having Aubameyang available changes a little bit how you feel you're going to be able to change the game and the influence you can have in the second half. You know, he if you remember, we played Leicester a while back where Leicester literally decided to play one half of football and they beat us. They brought Jamie Vardy on the second half. They beat us. Arteta may have felt, if I can get away with a, a half, 
I can win this in the second half. I've got my big guns, but he lost one of his big guns. We have no update on the Aubameyang situation. Is that correct? Does anybody I'm have any update? I'm not seeing anything. Does anyone see anything? I'm not seeing anything. I just know it's a personal issue, and whatever it is, I, I hope he's okay. No. His family's okay. I don't. Oh, Arteta wouldn't be drawn on whether he was available yeah. um, for for tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, look. Whenever it's a personal issue that's sudden, and the player is not available to play, and potentially not available to play even beyond that day, you know it's got to be something pretty unfortunate. So whatever it is, I hope yeah. it's not tragic, and I, I don't want to speculate, but I just I hope he's fine. Obviously, I hope his family's fine. Wish him the best. Um, well, Tim, the there's really just two issues left to touch on. I think from this game that, that I think are interesting, and and I'll I'll save the um the striker part for Paul and let you weigh in on the Pepe and William thing. I think a lot of attention is being paid to those two players in the wake of this game. I think a little unfairly in that I thought Pepe contributed some of the best moments in the game in his usual um, inefficient, uneven performance. <laughs> and I think it is just Matt, you know, he's like if Alexis wasn't good, I know that's a mean thing to say, but like Alexis could drive you crazy and then send you to incredible heights. Pepe is the same, but he doesn't hit the heights Alexis hit. And, and he doesn't hit the good stuff enough to necessarily make you overlook the bad stuff. I mean, the free kick he took from the right from the right wing, you know, just outside the box, where he blasts it 10 yards over with all of his teammates standing in the box. You just can't do that. Um, the Willian thing, he, I just think he was bad. And I just think he's been bad. I don't necessarily want mm. you to talk about Willian because, candidly, I know what you're going to say at this point, which is why yeah, we yeah. expect a guy who's a, just a full red-blooded right winger to play number 10 and succeed at 32 years old is crazy. So I don't... You know, unless you want to weigh in on it again, but I think no, you've been very uh, clear and, yeah, and articulate about that. But on the Pepe front, I, I just feel so torn. He could have been, you know, to put it in the parlance of our, our Patreon pods, he could have been my stock rising and he could have been my stock falling. So where do you fall on this player who, who at times is a guy doing the best things in the match, but so often underperforms in, in, in opportunities that seem so ripe for, for a big moment? Yeah, he's... Um... Like he, he'd throw up a good highlights reel, but if you actually watch him over ninety minutes, like he's so bad at some fundamentals that he, like whatever he does, he kind of makes you feel like he's bad anyway. Um, you want to hear a funny thing? Just super quick. He, I'm sorry to interrupt. Just super super yeah. quick. This is typical Twitter. I just have to say it's hilarious. I saw a highlight video of Pepe going around from this game that was set to the like off-key Titanic music, you know what I mean? Where he looked like he had his shoes on backwards. And I saw a hype video from this game of Pepe (laughs) set to Deep House music where he looked awesome. And they're from the same game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, no, and that's exactly it. I I think the the thing, like, obviously, there's like, there is a load of talent there, but it it really is like, um, sometimes in a way... He kind of looks like a footballer who's got all this natural talent, but hasn't actually played football before. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, wow, you're you're actually quite good at kicking a ball, but you like your tactical intelligence, your your sense of where to be, where to run, how many touches to take, like everything, like that's I guess cerebral about the game and the stuff you kind of pick up by osmosis just doesn't seem to be there. He just see like he's just got a really good left foot. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'd be really interested to know how much football he watches, because um, this is the thing as well about Pepe. We don't know a lot about him as a character, because um, he, he's he comes across quite quiet and introverted and the rest of it, and we don't actually know very much about him. 
And I'd be fascinated to know how much football he actually watches, like how much he invests, um, you know, I guess emotionally into the game. Because I, I've always, always had a little, and it's probably unfair because I'm sure there are loads of great players out there who are like, yeah, I never watch football. I'm not really that interested in it. I know those players exist, but I've always found it a bit of a red flag when a player's like, yeah, I don't really watch football that much, to be honest. Like, I, I kind of... I, th- I think certainly like at the absolute elite level, I, I think like f- footballers should be obsessed with football in one way or another, whether it's their own performance, whether they just enjoy watching other games. Um, and, and, and I, I like, I don't know how much he watches um, and he must be really frustrating for Arteta to try and coach because he just doesn't really seem to have any idea where to stand um, a lot of the time. And like a lot of the time he just, like basic bits of miscontrol like his concentration goes and that free kick at the end like just that that's like really basic football iq you know like if you've got a free kick in the last minute on the edge of the box do not get under it do not like keep it low do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like you know hard low uh, if it flies in the in the uh in the far corner or if it gets a touch on the way in like make it difficult don't like get under it and try like don't try and hit the top corner essentially yeah. like yep. or the far top corner do you know what i mean don't try and do the difficult um in that particularly in like that kind of position where it could be a cross or it could be a shot if you if you're dead central yeah of course you've got to shoot um go for it but in that kind of position don't do that it's just such basic football iq that really you should pick up around about the age of 14 or 15 mm. and he do, he doesn't seem to have like if you told me um that like he started playing football at 21 i'd believe you mm-hmm because it, it just his football IQ is so so like one of the worst I've seen I think at Arsenal um, and I include Theo Walcott in that um, who to, who to be fair had his was more technical um, he he did like he did have a good timing on his run and things like that and I think there were things he liked and things he worked on and the things he didn't really like he didn't work on but with Pepe it's just like I I just I'd just be fascinated I guess to know a bit more about his background and and I suppose I could I can find that out quite easily but to know more about how how like how how much does he think about football how much does he watch it how much does like does he watch his own performances does he watch himself like not jogging like not running alongside Bellerin when he's making an underlapping run and and you know think shit what was I doing there I look I look weird <laughs> there like what what am I why was I why did I stop 10 yards behind Bellerin like what what is going on and it, and like I know Tim with his his Leo existence where they were a counter-attacking team and when it was on it was on and yeah, it's like yeah. he knew what to do streak up the pitch play. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, on exactly. and then it's not on yeah exactly and and again yeah and, and i guess like with arsenal it's, it's much more pres- you know obviously like we, we don't need to relitigate the signing it's a terrible one um and not necessarily because he's a terrible player but it was a terrible fit uh, from a club who plays completely different football, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, I, and, and so maybe in light of that, yeah, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him and we are just asking him to do things he's never done before. But I, I just, I don't know. I just really wonder, like, I, I'm really curious. And, and 
the answer might be that he obsessively watches his clips and thinks, oh God, like I've really got, I've really got to stop doing this. I've really got to pull this round. And I like, I don't want to make the assumption that because he's introverted, he doesn't do that or that he's aloof or he doesn't care. Like, I don't want to make that assumption, which is why I'm really curious about like, how much does he analyze his own performances? How much does he look into like what he's doing in training and things like that? Because I, I, I don't know. It's just, he's, He's a weird footballer, isn't he? He's really, he's just really weird, and that's why he's so frustrating. He's certainly not a footballer who lacks the skills to do no. things at a very elite level. You know what I mean? Some players like El Neni, I don't think has the footballing capability to to be a dominant player. Whereas, because I feel Pepe can, I think that's why he's he's very hard to to read. Let's do this. Let's wrap up and just real quick, Paul. I, I think. You know, we, we covered the performances that I think are relevant from from the, the cup tie. I, I do wonder where we go with William now, and I don't want to discuss it at this point because I unfortunately I could see I could see William reaching that that sort of status like Ozil reached by the end, you know, and again, not nearly the quality of player with the Arsenal career that Ozil had, but where nobody just wants to talk about it anymore. And it, it's sort of sad to think that we might be in a situation like that so quickly with another player, but as we look forward to Southampton tomorrow, their fullbacks are out. You know, I, th- I think they're going to have to change it up a little, having tried to play their best 11 for these two games. We've got United at the weekend, but I fully expect us to go as strong as possible tomorrow. You expect any surprises? Or if Aubameyang's back, I mean, do you think it'll be what has become essentially our, our first 11 with Saka, Laka, Oba, Smith-Rowe, Shaka party, or if he's available, maybe Ceballos party, and then maybe the back four stays unchanged from the last league fixture? Uh, yeah, and Martinelli maybe instead of Aubameyang if Aubameyang isn't available. Yeah, I mean I, I think that'd be interesting. And um, I mean, do you? I, I guess what do you think is going to happen with the with the central midfield partnership? If you had to look into a crystal ball, Shaka started the cup tie, which I think was Arteta's nod to the fact that he needed some first eleven players in there, especially alongside Elneny. I don't know what Sabios's availability is, but do you think that Sabios has a, a shout if he's available for? maybe starting alongside Party, um, who I thought came on and looked really good against Southampton in the Cup, by the way. Yeah. Um, well, it's the Party show. So it may, it, maybe we're looking at it wrong. It's what to, what suits Party, And I think, I mean, he's pretty flexible. He could play either side, but I still think that he's a little more of a right-sided central midfielder. Mm. <clears throat> um, like... Chaka is a little, and Arteta's use of him um, is a little kind of deep playmaker, maybe dip into that left fullback corner to let Tierney go forward. He's a lefty that plays up the left side. I think the cards are tilted towards Chaka long term. Um, I know we're, uh, depending on who we is, we're always looking to see ways in which he goes the Mustafi's uh, Socrates route here, but um, I don't know. He's a plucky bugger. I think he could be around for a while. I think it's going to be Chaka and Party, and Chaka will tend to sit a little bit deeper, and it gives Party the opportunity and excuse. You know, we've had a discussion about what is Party. He could be a lot of things. He could be a more defensive player, but that's kind of a waste of his talents. If you look at where all his tackles are. Um, they're kind of in midfield. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like one of the highest tackling midfielders 
in that central third. I think he really likes to sit in that pocket. He doesn't necessarily want to go as deep as a Chaka will uh, defensively running back with players. He typically works in that middle middle third. Uh, this is kind of a revelation to me over the last couple of days. I think that's he's not box to box. He's third to third, and he likes to stay in that zone and do a lot of damage, pick up that ball and hurt you on the counter. So I think it's it's obviously the party show. I think Chaka might just suit that a little better because he's happy to sit a little deeper, and we're happy to use him over to that left back corner and and spray passes up the left side with his left paw. So uh, I, I, I'm definitely interested in seeing Party and Sabias, and I think that could be fun too. But I actually think Chaka and Party gives Party what he really wants, which is just a little bit of liberty to get forward from time to time, but also to sit in that middle third where Chack will go deeper and he'll cover and he'll drop deeper and mm. make tackles in the six-yard box and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I got it. This is the kiss of death, but I feel good about this one. I do. I, you know, I think Arteta, rest of his players, they'll be fresh, they'll be hungry, they'll be facing a, a tired and somewhat changed Southampton. And I, you know, my, my fingers crossed, I think... I think this is going to work out for Mikel. <laughs> I think he got it right. You know, I said this on the instant reaction pod, but like this is big boy management. You're at a big club. You got a raft of difficult fixtures coming up. You've got to prioritize. It's never easy sitting down star players for any game, especially one where you can get knocked out of a cup. But you have to make the big tough calls and you have to take it on the chin when they don't work out for you. But if we win this game and play well, I think the FA Cup is going to be a bit of a distant memory as much as we all have an affection for that competition. So I, I think he did the right thing and I think he'll be rewarded for it is my hope. Smooth 10-0, right, Clive? Mm, yeah, I think I, I think we're going to win. Yeah, I've said okay. that for every single every game, game for the last yeah, five too. years, right? 10-0. So. Mm. Um, hey, just real quick, Clive. Uh, um, you, you got a drink you're going to toast to uh, Mustafi potentially having his contract canceled? Uh, no, I'm dry January, mate, so I'm no, no drinking, but nope. I'm glad that the... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that the victims are leaving the dressing room. That's what I'm going to say. You don't change a culture until you remove the bits in your dressing room that had an overly influential influence on the old culture. And that's exactly what he's done. He's ripping it out. Now he can do what he wants to do. And now he can run a training session. When you've got 31 players in your squad, you can't even put two teams out in a training session. It's too hard to manage, right? People being, they know they don't get a beer, but they're not even in the squad. Oh, then and you know really... oh, Sorry, I'm just going to cut across you for a second because I don't want to say goodbye. We're, we're really, really running low on time, and, and I don't want to say goodbye unless we touch on this. And the Mustafi thing, Clive, is, is much less interesting, but since you're talking about squad depth and getting a bib, can you maybe just speak momentarily on, on the Balgan and Kedia situation as well? Um, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but it occurred to me that I had that on the running order and somehow missed it. I, I wanted to let you get, get some, yeah. some time on that. Managing, managing a squad is, is massively important. It feeds into Balogun, et cetera. I think, I'm not being funny, but even having the players for a training session, you know, the right players, when you've got too many, it's really hard to put on a session. He may laugh at me, right? They clap their elite. No, they're not. You need the right numbers to do the drills you want to do. When you've got people coming out of the sky, it's very hard. It's really hard. And so he needs his core group, right? And so for me, there's that Germanic click. 
it's being ripped to bits, right? It's being ripped to bits, and and it's probably a year or so too late. And there, but I think it's a good thing what we're doing. We're saying enough. We're prepared to pay you. You've won up to a point, but you, none of you have played for ages. But now go and find yourself a club. And we're sending a message to anybody else who wants to do this. Been doing this for years, by the way. Coming to us and leave them on their own terms. We're saying right. We got to chop this. We got to bite it and move forward. And on the Balogun and Eddie stuff, I thought Eddie had a bad game and he's lacking in confidence. And when I mean bad game, he had our golden moments and he missed them. But it's the way he missed them. He watched how he slashed at them chances. He was just throwing his leg at it. Mm. You know, he's standing for a mile away from the ball. No control. Never happening. Never going in. Not in a month for Sundays where they're going in. And when you're sure of yourself, you open your foot out. You do exactly the right technique. You're standing foot right close. Your body tight. Core's tight. Bang. Goal. He's not doing that. He missed that chance. One of the game recently. Marvin, I can't remember which one it was. A cut back from the left. He slashed a shot early when he had a chance for a touch. He slashed a shot this time from the same position. He came on the right side, slashed a shot. And of course, we're, we're fans, right? So we can add up. And then Balogun drops his drops his Insta right on the right on the end of the game. You got a thought on that? Uh, I, I'm I am I'm massively torn on this one, mate. Because the way we're playing with a what we're doing with number ten is we're sort of I was saying today somebody it's on a timeshare, and so Smith Rowe's quite active and he moves inside and out, and so Lacazette provides that. That fixture point when Smith Rowe moves, all they play together. Eddie's not a fixture. He's not a spinal player. He's not a structural player. He's a he's a point of a tip of a, an arrow. And so with Smith Rowe there, that doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. So we need either a stronger ten to allow an Obama Yang tight to play centre forward, or we need to recognise this is what we're doing in that in that role. We need a different centre forward, and a Balogun can post up. He can post up. He can pin people. He's got a big backside. He can roll people. People don't want to go near him because he's strong. And I'm thinking, oh, mate, you are you are made for this. You are made for this pivot. And not only that, you can turn around and go. And so if you need you to be a tip of an arrow, you can do that too because you're quick. You're quicker than Eddie. But I'm looking at it football-wise thinking, oh, this could really work. But I'm looking at this thinking, hey, you're a 19-year-old kid. You ain't done nothing yet. And, and Arteta is a stickler for the pathway and the hierarchy. And he is not, he is going to give people time and chance, whether we like it or not. But then, as he's shown this window, when the time's up, the time's up. Right? So never get worried about talent. There's talent coming out of the bushes every two minutes. Someone sends me a video on some piece, some talent I've never heard of. I think I know a bit. There's talent out there. So although I'd like this kid to work, I'm not worried because somebody in Discord is going to send me a YouTube soon and somebody just as good. Yeah. Right? And that's how that's how football is. There's so much talent. So many people want to get to play for Arsenal Football Club. So let's not get too worried about somebody we haven't even seen play a second half of Premier League football yet. Yeah. I, I guess the, the only thing I would say is don't be a victim of circumstance. You know what I mean? If you want a player to come through and if you rate his talent, then plan to bring that player through and execute on the plan, which may mean making hard decisions about about another player. I, I accept that it's complicated, by the way, by the fact that these guys share an agent, and I don't I don't know how you traverse the the challenges of that. But I, I, I what I mean by don't be a victim of circumstances, don't wind up in a situation where 
the decision you want to make on the player is superseded by the decision you're forced into because you can't, you haven't been able to give the player a pathway because you've let another player block him that maybe you think less of. Like, So I, my only criticism would just be, I'm not sure we decided which one of these players we rated in a timely fashion. I think the summer, we probably knew enough about Enkedia and we could have made a pathway for Balogun. And we opted not to do that. And now what that means is, I think we'll probably lose Balogun. And I think we'll probably wind up selling Enkedia. And neither will be at the club. And that's not the end of the world. It isn't. But I don't think it's the choice we would have picked. I think we're becoming the victim of circumstance in that respect. Which, you know what? It's a big squad. Lots of young, talented players. You don't control all of the decisions perfectly. You just don't want to be led around by circumstances uh, if you can avoid it. So l- let's leave it there. There's a game tomorrow, which means there'll be an instant reaction tomorrow. And then there'll be a, a full pod right after that. And then there'll be an Odegaard um, <laughs> uh, scouting video. And and then the, there'll be a general Premier League roundup pod. Uh, so that's cool. I'm excited about that. We're doing those, and, and we got uh, some good feedback on that in the Patreon. And thanks to, to everyone for the good feedback on Jessica Black, who appeared on the last episode, and I, I really want to thank her for coming on. We'll have her back on. So lots of good things happening, as always, uh, including uh, shaving your privates, hopefully. So in any event, we'll leave it there. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Hello. Oh, sorry. Thank you very much. Uh, you want to start over? We can. We can just roll, run it back. Here we go. Hour two. Take a break. <laughs> get a sip of water. Let's do it. Uh, uh, Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. I'm kidding. We are not running it back. Thankfully, mercifully. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll be back to talk to you then. We uh, we do love you. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you're enjoying all the fun, and maybe we'll laugh at Lampard a little bit more on the way out, and certainly do something to celebrate Odegaard when he does come in. So lots more ahead. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Southampton. Nope.